This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Uh, cannabis in the news again. Ontario is launching a second round of cannabis stores, planning for 50 to start opening as early as October, but with tougher screening requirements aimed at, pardon me, weeding out the operators less likely to make the grade in addition to the previous requirement, which was a $50,000 line of credit from a bank or financial institution. Uh, Prospective pot shop owners must now prove they have a quarter of a million dollars in capital to finance their store and a solid line on renting a location. Uh, Attorney General Doug Downey, newly appointed, was uh, talking about this yesterday, and he's talking about hopeful submitting uh, applications to the Alcohol and Gaming Commission from the 7th to 9th of August with winners to be drawn in a lottery on August the 20th. I got some questions here. I don't think that uh, I'm going to ask them of you or try to guess at them myself, but uh, we have a, a person who is something of an expert in the cannabis field in James West, CEO and host of Midas Letter Live, publisher and recognized authority on investing in emerging cannabis companies. Hi, James. Hey, how's it going, Peter? Pretty good. Uh, these 50 new licenses uh, for cannabis stores, I understand that uh, they're, they're kind of parsing where they go, what section of the province, and I believe that eight of them are destined for First Nations territories. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Well, here's what interests me, and I'm going to ask you, because uh, as an expert, you may know something about this. If you want to buy cannabis from First Nations, you go to First Nations and you buy it. I went and I, I Googled Tyendinaga, which is the, the First Nations territory uh, in the Kingston area. It's halfway between uh, here and Montreal. And uh, they've got all kinds of, uh, of shops there. And the first thing I got when I Googled it was an online menu where I could buy this kind of, uh, of weed or that kind of weed, or I could buy edibles, which aren't even legitimate in the province of Ontario or in Canada yet. Why are they issuing licenses to Native groups if Native groups are just selling the stuff? Yeah, it's uh, it's a mystery to me. I mean, anytime government gets involved in business, it strikes me as a contradiction of free market principles by which we are presumably governed. But um, you know, I, I think that the government's in a position where it's like, well, we we've got to give licenses to everyone or licenses to no one, um, and so it looks like they've opted for everyone. And I guess at the end of the day, that's probably a great approach. Let the market decide. Give anybody who wants to fire up a store, the ability to do so, and let let the market determine whether or not they'll be successful. I find there's a credibility uh, issue here. In I, I do reading before the show, obviously, and I read for pleasure as well. And I see that uh, Attorney General Downey is saying, well, you know, we're, we're going slowly here because there is a supply problem. And then at the same time, I see uh, a story out on Bill Blair, who's essentially the czar on all of this stuff because he's the minister charged with the rollout of cannabis. And he says, we got more than enough supply. That's, that's nonsense. We can do it. Who's right? Um, I would say that Bill Blair is uh, definitely more accurate. I mean, all you have to do is, is look at the StatsCan official cannabis tracking system, and you can see that the increase in inventories, as reported by LPs, is starting to grow exponentially, whereas previously it's been growing incrementally. And so if you look at just the inventories that are accumulating on the balance sheets of these LPs, it's clear that the convergence of the line between supply and demand is imminent, and it's just a very short matter of time. So we're in a situation where we're completely oversupplied 
which from a consumer perspective is probably a good thing because that should put price pressure to the downside for consumers. I know so many people. I mean, I'm, I'm not a, a participant in this particular area, but I would be uh, blind to, to not realize that a lot of people are. You just have to walk up Young Street, and the aroma is everywhere, and people are walking around. They used to come out of alleyways. Now it's just they smoke it in your face, which is fine if that's what they want to do. Uh, bottom line here, though, is, is anybody making money at this yet? Um. Well, it doesn't seem so. Bruce Litton's recent departure from Canopy would sort of be the exclamation point on that, that whole thought. I mean, I myself today, it's just a coincidence that I am actually harvesting my first four plants that I'm legally allowed to grow today. And I can't imagine buying cannabis for at least another five years just from this one crop. I got these monster plants, monster buds. I don't know what I'm going to do with this stuff. I grew it more or less as a, as a lark. But um, but they work. It worked. It's a weed. It is a weed, and if I can grow it, I'm pretty sure anybody else can. So I, I don't. I really don't see the excitement in the recreational side uh, in terms of the cannabis business. It just doesn't seem that it's likely going to be worth very much because. Um, there's still a lot of people buying buying off the black market. Well, if you see, there are. That's that's what I hear from uh, from people I know who participate. They they I said this a year ago before it was legal. And people people get it from the guy who comes over and drops on my guy, and yeah. uh, and in a year they're still going to buy it from my guy, and they are. So here's the question: your, your your expertise primarily is in the financial viability of the companies that are running legal grow ups and putting this stuff on the market and guaranteeing its purity and all the rest of it. So companies like Aurora and Canopy and so forth, are they at this point um, good stocks to invest in? Have they, have they done as well on the market as they should have? Um, well, at this point, the, we are in the midsummer drift, which is where the news starts to dry up. Cannabis executives go and enjoy their, their hard-earned spoils at cottages everywhere. Ah, and, yeah. they're, and, they're driving it up north, right? Yeah, exactly. So the stocks tend to drift lower. So it's not a good time to assess the market generally. Um, if you look at the withering patience of investors to see some indication of profit, uh, you know, that's, I think that's going to start to impact the prices of these stocks a lot more dramatically. Already canopy growth is, or canopy has dropped from a high of about $21 billion to below $20 billion. And I think that investor patience is wearing out and the sort of the um, speculative impetus that drove prices to these levels is starting to evaporate. And I'm not sure whether we're going to be able to get it back in the in the fall when typically news flow starts to increase again as everybody comes back to work. Well, so the, I, go ahead. I don't, know, I don't know if I'd say they're good investments at this point. I think they have lowered a, lowered a drift. And so if you're going to buy a position in any cannabis stock, I would wait at least until mid to late summer. I say to myself sometimes when we're talking about this, why did we ever embark on this adventure? And there are two answers that I can come up with. One is Trudeau wanted to appeal to a particular segment of the population because cannabis is widely enjoyed, consumed, let's put it that way. Uh, and uh, that seems to have worked for him, at least in the last election. And, and the other part is there's potential for tax revenue that could really help. But I'm, I'm just wondering how much tax revenue there really can be, notably now in Ontario, which was uh, slow on the uptake because we changed governments and they decided to change systems. Sure. Well, that's, uh, you know, that's another question that remains to be resolved. And, um, you know, that's also all in the context of the recreational side. 
the general consensus is among global investors is that the far larger portion of the opportunity for both investors and governments is going to be from the medical and wellness side. Yeah. So already everywhere around the world, I just got back from a conference in London, CBD products are everywhere. They're absolutely everywhere. And so from a, from a retail sales tax or value-added tax in Europe perspective, they are certainly realizing that benefit. Canada is a little bit slow on that because, strangely enough, we don't really have CBDs broadly available in the market as nutritional supplements, which is the category that they're available in throughout Europe and in the United States. So we're, we're missing out on that, and, that, and that's really just a function of sort of inconsistent application of the whole idea of legalizing cannabis. It's kind of ironic that the least psychotropic element of cannabis is not itself legalized as a easy-to-access nutritional supplement in this country. And I and think that's the salient point that uh, that you the most salient point that you've made since we've been talking for the last 10 minutes or so, uh, only because it took me that long to get to it. We have put so much stock in, oh, you know, we're going to have legal cannabis and we'll be able to smoke it and one day we'll get gummies. Well, I mean, we have gummies, but I'm talking about legally that we have uh, kind of shunted aside the use of the CBDs and the uh, the elements of cannabis or the cannabis plant that seem to have, and, and I, w- I cite, you know, my own um, experience with it, not personally, I haven't, I haven't used it, but I know a lot of people who have, and I'm not saying I wouldn't use it, I would, if there was something that was indicated. But the bottom line here is... It, in the United States, where cannabis is technically not legal, CBDs are going wild. And as you say, same thing in Europe. Yeah, well, I use uh, CBD every day. I do a one milliliter dose of 48 milligram CBD isolate. And I do that for, uh, I started doing it just for a better night's sleep. I had trouble sleeping. But I have found that doing it every single day gives me a few physical, subtle improvements, such as uh, improved mental clarity. Uh, better recovery time post-workouts, and of course, that all-important one, the incredible sleep that you get off of it. So, I mean, for something that has no detectable side effect, I don't really detect any sort of dependency developing with it. It's just a dietary supplement that adds to the quality of life, and uh, I I access it through the medical side. Do they have one that grows hair? Um, not yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if they found a way to do that with cannabis, too. Oh, wouldn't it be nice? Thanks so much, James. Pleasure, Peter. Anytime. Oh, you bet. James West, CEO and host of Midas Letter Live, bringing us up to date on the, uh, we'll call it the cannabis file, and um, I guess putting the lie to the idea that uh, we don't have enough supply. Bill Blair apparently is correct, and uh, Attorney General Downey saying we don't have enough supply. I don't know who he's talking to. He'll have to talk to Bill Blair, I guess. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.